Hello and welcome to Grace Life Sir Lowry's Pass. We are a gospel-centered church family focused on reaching the unreached and making disciples. We pray this teaching will help you to grow in your relationship with Jesus and discover more of the reality of Christianity. So the last several Sundays we have had and we are still having our Good News campaign. The aim is for us to reach the unreached. Amen? Amen. And so today I prepared a little bit on a subject that might come up in connection with that. And the subject is God versus science, or rather we could say science versus naturalism. What is naturalism? What's the difference between science and naturalism? Basically, it's the same thing except naturalism excludes anything spiritual or supernatural. In naturalism, you do not include anything that is spiritual or supernatural. But in true science, you do, because through science, God is the creator of it. Amen? Amen. But now, before we start, okay. All right. So the question is, why should we believe God? What evidence, quote unquote, do we have? Hasn't science proven that there is no God? We need to be ready to give an answer because we will be encountering many people that will be sincerely searching for answers. Although what I will be sharing today here, will, it will barely touch, touch the subject, but we'll try. Amen? First Peter 3.15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And why do you think we should always be ready? Because people need life. And doubts, unbelief will block people from receiving that life. That's why if we can answer, we can <coughs> shoot down the deceit. We can, the truth will be enlightening. It will give us light. Amen? But now, before we start, let's, let, so this is just an, a little icebreaker, right? So sci scientists decided to tell God that we no longer need him. One day, a group of scientists got together and decided that man had come a long way and no longer needed God. So they picked one scientist to go and tell him that they were done with him. The scientist walked up to God and said, God, we've decided that we no longer need you. you. We are at the point that we can clone people and do many miraculous things. We don't need you here anymore. You can go your way. God listened very patiently and kindly to the man. After the scientist was done talking, God said, very well, how about this? Let's say we have a man-making contest. To which the scientist replied, okay, great. But God added, now we are going to do this just like I did back in the old days with Adam. The scientist said, sure, no problem, and bent down and grabbed himself a handful of dirt. 
God looked at him and said, no, no, no. You go get your own dirt. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so many scientists claim that atheism must be accepted before true science can take place. However, the idea that belief in a creator, God, who created and upholds the universe would bring science to an end is based on a mistaken idea. In fact, just the opposite belief has placed a rise in science. We don't need to get rid of God in order to have true science. Amen? In ancient Greek religion and mythology, you know that mythology is traditional beliefs that were passed down, right? There were 12 Olympian gods. Some powers were common to all these gods, such as immortality, enhanced intelligence, teleportation, and the ability to change forms. But they also each had special powers as well. For example, one of them, Zeus, the ruler of the skies and the father of the gods, was not notorious for his ability to manipulate weather, usually throwing bolts when he was angry, which could even scatter whole mountains. He also had the power to transform into several animals so that he could seduce goddesses and mortal women. His ability to throw bolts was what they believed caused lightning. Just to give an example, right? So we will not go into details about these gods. That's not important. But whenever there was a gap in the understanding of how things worked, it would be ascribed to the quote-unquote gods. This contributed towards the desire to get rid of the gods or the superstition in order to come to an understanding. However, the mistake was that in getting rid of the gods, they also decided to get rid of God himself. That was now the mistake. Amen? Amen. So as we look back over the history of science, we have every reason to be grateful to some of the Greek brilliant thinkers who took the brave step of questioning the mythological, which was the traditional belief, or view of, of nature that endowed or attributed various bits of the universe with divine powers they did not possess. Amen? Centuries before, however, Moses had warned against worshiping other gods, bowing down to them or to the sun or the moon or the stars. For Moses and the prophets, it was absurd, wildly unreasonably, unreasonable, illogical, or inappropriate to bow down to various bits of the universe, such as the sun, moon, and stars as gods. But they regarded it equally as absurd to not believe in and bow down to the creator, God, who made both the universe and them. Amen? Amen. They did not have to get rid of mythology as they had never worshipped the creation. In fact, Deuteronomy 4, 15 to 19, Moses warns the people of idolatry. 
Ah, praise the Lord. Let there be light. Amen? Amen. So in Deuteronomy 4, 15 to 19, he said, Take careful heed to yourselves, for you saw no form when the Lord spoke to you at Horeb. Horeb in Deuteronomy is the same that in Exodus is called Mount Sinai, where they, thank you, Jake, where they received the Ten Commandments. So if you hear Mount Sinai in Deuteronomy and you hear Mount Horeb in Exodus, it's the same mountain that they were at. And they received the Ten Commandments. But so he's saying, when God spoke to you and you received the Ten Commandments, you saw no form. Like, the Lord didn't appear in the form of any kind of animal or whatever. Any, any kind of recreation. Amen? Amen. Out of the, out, so you saw no form out of the midst of the fire. Lest you act corruptly and make for yourselves a caved image in the form of any figure the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, or the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, or the likeness of any fish that is in the water beneath the earth, and take heed, lest you lift up your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun, the moon, and the stars, all the host of heaven, you feel driven to worship them, and serve them, which the Lord your God has given to all the peoples under the whole heaven as a heritage. So we are not to worship any created being. Amen? Amen. And we are not to make idols, figures, out of those created beings as a symbol of God. There is one God only, Amen. and he is our Lord and creator. Amen? Amen. Now, I, I have here a little illustration of Aunt Matilda's cake. Now, it was pink when I saw it, but in the process of getting it on paper, it became green. But so instead of strawberry flavored, we will imagine it as mint flavored. Amen. <laughs> so let's imagine that it is Aunt Matilda's nephew's birthday. For the occasion, Aunt Matilda has baked a beautiful cake. Amen. We, however, first take the cake along to be analyzed by a group of the world's top scientists. We ask them for an explanation of the cake, and they go to work. The nutrition scientist will tell us how the number of calories in the cake, and it's about the number of calories, and its nutritional effect. The biochemist will inform us of the structure of the proteins, fats, etc. The chemist will inform us about the elements and their bonding. The physicists will be able to analyze the cake in terms of fundamental particles. The mathematicians will no doubt offer us a set of elegant equations to describe the behavior of those particles. So now that all these experts, each in turn, each in terms of his or her scientific disciplines have given us an exhaustive description of the cake. Can we say that the cake is completely explained or do we still have some questions? What if we were to ask the scientist how the cake came about or who made the cake? 
And because they did not find Aunt Matilda in the cake, they were to tell us that the cake made itself. Some big bang in the kitchen just caused it to be, insisting that there is no cake maker in the mix. Now you know what about another little example, when they, when they first created the Model T Ford, the first car that was in wide circulation, right? What if they had decided that the engine, with all the sputtering and all the noise, was gone? Would that be correct? No? So, when we ask who, God says, in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in John 1, 1 to 3 and 14, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld the glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen. So we see that God the Father and Jesus the Son were there, and we know that it says that the Spirit of God was hovering upon the waters. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they made the world. Amen. We get an answer, right? Now, when we ask man, man will say it made itself. It slowly evolved, evolved. A big bang did it. Think about this. How many big bangs or explosions do, do you know of that have been creative as opposed to destructive? Think about that. Amen? When we ask why, God says in Isaiah 45:18, he says, For thus says the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it. He established it, he created it, not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is none else. So what's the reason for the cake, quote unquote? That we might live, that we might have a home, that we might have a place to live. Amen? Amen. Now if we ask man why, he says, actually science or man cannot answer. Science is limited, and this is made clear by its inability to answer questions such as, what are we all here for? What is the point of living? Is there a God? What happens after we die? There are, no certain, there, sorry, there are certain questions which unaided reason. Now here you have to get into reasoning. Can you scientifically analyze reasoning? No. It's a spiritual thing. You cannot scientifically analyze reasoning. So there are questions that unaided, not helped, unhelped, unaided reasoning cannot answer. And to answer them, we need another source of information that science itself cannot produce or cannot provide, right? In this instance, we need revelation from God. Amen? Amen. Now, I want to show you this. Now, in school, in school we learn about timelines, right? Have you all seen a timeline like this in school? And so, because God lives in eternity, we tend to think 
that that means that he has endless time, never ending time. But Albert Einstein discovered that we do not live in a three-dimensional world only, you know, with length and height, that's three dimensions, right? But we actually live in a fourth-dimensional, and just to confuse you a little bit more, it's been discovered that, in fact, there are at least ten dimensions, but we'll stick to these four. Amen? So he discovered that we do not live in a three-dimensional only world, height, length, and width, but rather a four-dimensional world. The fourth dimension is time. For anything to exist, it needs a point in time. However, God is not limited to time. I want you to see this. Picture this as our timeline. We all need a point on that timeline in order to exist. But God lives in eternity. In, in Revelation 10, 6, it says, And swear by him that lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that therein are, and the earth, and the things that therein are, and the sea, and the things which, there, which are therein, that there should be time no more. Time is not an eternal substance or thing. One day, the Bible clearly says, time will be no more. So our concept of God just having endless time is a false concept. He lives in eternity. Amen? Because God is outside of time, he knows the beginning from the ending. Imagine yourself if you were in a helicopter looking down on an intersection and you saw a truck zooming from this side and a car zooming. You could tell before it happened that there was going to be a collision. That does not mean you orchestrated or that you caused that collision. It just knows, means you knew it was going to happen before it happened. Amen? So Isaiah 46.10 says, Declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. So God is outside of time. He is in eternity. We can say he is in a different dimension than what we are in. Amen? Amen. So Revelation 22, 13 says, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And Isaiah 57, 15 says, For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrast, of the contrite ones. But now I want to show about the life of Jesus. We have more than 300 prophecies in the Old Testament. God could foretell everything. Of course, he is the author, but also he can see from his vantage point, he can see the beginning from the end. Amen? God lives in eternity outside of time. Now I want you to look at this. 
This is what we call, this is a simple illustration, but it is the three circles. So in order, do you see this? You see this barrier here, this black barrier, this here? This is an illustration of sin, of what separates us from God, right? And to step out of our dimension into his, we need a portal, a door. A favorite theme of science fiction is the portal, an extraordinary opening in space or time that connects travelers to distant realms. A good portal is a shortcut, a guide, a door into the unknown. Jesus said he is that portal or door. There may be other portals, other doors, but those all lead to destruction. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father except through me. Why do we need to come to the Father? Because only in him is life. Amen. Amen. In John 1, 4, in him was life. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. So we need life. We do not want the opposite of life and life and love. Amen? There is no light, no life, no love, etc. outside of him. That is who he is. So it is only found where he is. There is existence in hell. People who go there don't cease to be, but you can certainly not call that existence a life. Amen? Torture, brimstone, fire, flames, separation from anything good. That's not life. We live in a fallen world, a broken world. There are wars, rioting, murder, destruction, rape, hunger, famines, abuse, human trafficking, abortion, etc., etc., all kinds of horrors. And on the inside, man is broken, fearful, sick, anxious, jealous, envious, hate, hating, insecure, negative comparisons, broken-hearted, lost. Amen? We live in a broken world. The barrier between God and man is sin. God is pure, holy, righteous, light, life, love, etc. Read the Bible to know all about it. Amen? Amen? The enemy is the exact opposite of God. So now in 2 Corinthians 6.14 it says, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion has light with darkness? Light and darkness, the two don't mix. Righteousness and unrighteousness, the two don't mix. So we were born in sin, born into darkness. Psalm 51.5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. And Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So God is love, but not only. He is also just and righteous, and therefore justice has to be served. So in 1 John 4.8, it says, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And in 1 Peter 3.18, it says, Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust. His just, his justice, 
and his love, right? That he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Justice, the payment for sin, had to be carried out. Man sinned, so man had to pay for the sins that he committed. But fallen sinful man was not capable of redeeming himself. He was not able to pay the price required because a holy, righteous God cannot have communion with sin and darkness. And if you know in the Old Testament, whenever they had to make a sacrifice, that animal had to be without spot, without blemish. It had to be holy, pure, perfect. Man was not perfect. We were born in sin. So how could we be perfect, right? Thankfully, God is also love. Love is kind, forgiving, merciful, gentle, etc., etc. So how could God have mercy on man and still be true to his nature, still be just? How could he forgive and still be just? In his extraordinary love, he decided to come to earth as a man and pay the penalty for sin that man owed him. He came to pay the penalty himself. Now that is extraordinary, Amen. amazing love. Amen? Amen. Amen? The entire story of the Bible is the message of God's love and salvation, the forgiveness of sin, sins found through faith in Jesus Christ. Through his mission to earth, Jesus made a way for us to come unto God. In his life, death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus fulfilled a minimum of 300 Old Testament prophecies. In Acts 10.43, it says, To him all the prophets, prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. So our only hope is in the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. In his life, in Matthew 5:17, he said, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. This is something that was impossible for man to do because it required a fallen sinful man to live a holy, perfect standard. Man could not do it. Jesus came as man. It says he put aside his divinity. He came as as you see in the circle here, he came as fully man and fully God. But he laid aside his divinity in order to be fully man, in order to, as man, pay the price that we owe. Amen? Amen? So in his death, he said, who being in the form of God, did not consider it <coughs> robbery, to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. He was perfect, he was holy, he was righteous. He did not have to die. He, in fact, he said, you are not taking my life from me. I lay it down. He laid it down. We were so unworthy. We were not worthy at all. 
He laid it down because he loves us. Amen. And because that, he is also justice. The price had to be paid. So he decided to come and pay for us. That's beautiful. And in his burial, in Matthew, okay, sorry, I forgot here. When I forgot Hebrews 10.10. 10. By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Amen? Once for all. We don't have to be saved and saved again and saved again. It's a one-time thing. We are born again new creatures in Christ Jesus. So in his burial, in Matthew 27, 58, this man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded, this is now talking about Joseph of Arimathea who went for the body. Then Pilate commanded the body to be given to him. Jesus was referred to as the body because he was definitely dead. After being whipped, crucified, having a spear thrust through his side, etc., he died physically. Amen? Amen. In his resurrection, Matthew 27, 52 and 53, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saint, saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So it says something like 500 people saw him. So definitely he rose from the dead. Amen? Amen. And then his ascension, you know, the resurrection was when he rose from the dead and he still walked the earth for 40 days. His ascension was when he was taken up and seated at the right hand of God and didn't come back down. So now we speak about the ascension, Acts 1, 10 and 11. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Jesus is going to come back, and he's going to rule and reign upon earth. Amen? Amen. Now, I am so happy that three of our visitors, but I want to ask, do we have anyone here? If you have not received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to say Jesus is the portal from which we can enter into God's perfect world. Now, we, cannot, we don't cease to exist. If we don't receive Jesus, we don't cease to exist. But we will not exist in God's world. We will exist in hell. And we don't want to go there. We are forewarned, amen? So, if anyone have not yet received Jesus, please don't leave here without doing that. That is the most important you can do in all of your lifetime upon earth. Amen? Amen. And here is so, Jesus is the only door or portal through which we can go to receive life, love, light, and all the spiritual blessings of God. Remember, it is like leaving one dimension and entering into another. And you cannot do that. You can say, oh, I don't believe in God, or yadarat, whatever. But one day, we will all stand before God, whether we want to or not, whether we believe him or not. Amen? So Romans 10, 9, and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus 
and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It is so simple. Even a little child can receive Jesus. Amen? Amen. And Matthew 13, 3 says, sorry, 18, 3. Then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly, I say unto you, unless you are converted and become as a little child, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. What did he mean by that? Don't overcomplicate. Just believe it. Like there's this song, do it because daddy said so. Daddy is our God, Father. Do it because he said so. Amen. He loves you. He came and suffered the most horrific death for you. So you and I don't have to die. You can find more of our free teachings on our website, www.gracelife.ca. And if you're ever in the Solaris Pass area, we invite you to join us for one of our gatherings. Our aim is to help you discover Jesus, find family, and experience life. To contact us, or to find out where and when we meet, visit our website, www.gracelife.ca.